At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Morning. Uh, if we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at this church, uh, and this morning it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and an errant word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, uh, my dad always told us this great piece of wisdom. He would always say, never run your horse back towards the barn. Never run your horse back towards the barn. And, and it's, a, it's very, very wise. Why? Well, because the barn is where the saddle comes off of the horse and where the food is. So if you run your horse towards the barn, the horse will likely not stop. <laughs> Though you may try, the horse in its mind decides, we're going to the barn. The saddle's coming off. They're going to feed us. And the more you pull back on the reins, the more the horse decides to keep going. So you never run your horse towards the barn. If you're going to run your horse, you run your horse away from the barn. And so the question is, did little Mr. Know-it-all, teenage Kirk, obey the wisdom of his dad? He's here to keep me in line. Pop, did I listen? No. No, I did not. I did not listen, and as I trotted into a full gallop towards the barn, the horse decided this is where it was going to go, and so the more I pulled back, the more I yelled, whoa, the more irritated the horse got, and the horse decided to relieve itself of its said irritation. (laughs) And the horse arrived back at the barn, ready to get its saddle taken off and eat without a rider. So the moral of the story could be, don't run your horse towards the barn, but there's actually a deeper meaning to the story, and the reason that I tell you the story is because the true moral of the story is that we should listen. We should listen, meaning it's important that we listen. We need to listen to our spouse. We need to listen to our kids. We need to listen to our boss. We need to listen to our coworkers. We need to listen to our friends. After all, isn't that the mark of a good friend that they listen? Isn't this what almost every single parent in this room is engaged in this epic battle of teaching our children to to listen, to listen? So which is why we say things to our children like this. I know you heard me, but you're not listening. It's a a very interesting distinction that that we're making there. And and we are making a distinction there between those two words. We need not get hung up on it, uh, but it is important. You see, the distinction that we're trying to make is when we say hearing, hearing occurs when sound waves enter in through the ears and goes through the narrow passageway called the ear canal, and it leads to the eardrum, and the eardrum vibrates that incoming sound waves, and then the brain interprets that as sound. That's, That's hearing. But see, listening then is something different. If you're taking notes, church family, listening produces produces action. Listening produces action. So that's, that's the distinction that we're trying to make there between, I know that you heard me, but you're not listening. We're saying, you heard what I said, but you're not doing what I said. You're, you're not listening. Again, we need not get hung up. We, we could almost say, I know that you heard me, but you're not really hearing me. 
or I know that you're listening, but you're not really listening. That's the distinction that we're trying to make. And so I want you to hear me today, church family. Nothing, write this down, nothing is more important than listening to the Word of God. Nothing is more important than listening, meaning it produces action in our lives. It's not just coming here Sunday by Sunday, uh, listening to sermons, hearing them, but it's taking the word of God and planting it within our hearts and taking it out into our day-to-day lives. It's obeying the word of God. So church family, my job, my job as your pastor is to preach. That's what I'm here to do, church family, Sunday by Sunday. My job is to preach and your job then is to listen. Now, that is not because I am more spiritual or more holy or anything like that. It is because God has placed a call on my life. Jesus calls preachers to preach, and he calls hearers to listen. So just as sure as God has placed a call on my life to preach, he has placed a call on your life to listen. The problem is many churches today are moving away from preaching because people don't like to listen. I had a conversation with a, a pastor, a, another pastor friend of mine, and he, he said, oh, we're, we, we try not to preach. We, we don't preach at our church. We do dialogue. I said, oh, really? <laughs> That's very interesting. Apparently, you're not trying to model your ministry after the ministry of Jesus because Jesus certainly had a healing ministry, but Jesus' main ministry was a ministry of preaching, and so true churches preach the word of God. Amen. And so let me make a promise to you today. I am going to preach the word of God. And any pastor who steps in this pulpit will preach the word of God. And so it may not be engaging. It may not be eloquent. Uh, At at some point, we probably will get off topic. But we will, by God's grace, preach the word of God. The question is, will you listen? The question is, will you listen? Okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and give you the whole sermon. Here it is. Is it too early in the sermon to give you the whole sermon? Okay, here it is. My main point, my one main point, here it is. Listen up. Real faith keeps on going. Listen up. You you have to listen. Like, really listen. You have to hear. Like, really hear. Like, take the word of God and and implant it in your life and take it out and live it out. That's what listening to the word of God is. So listen up. This is what Jesus is going to... Jesus says in in his prayer study, anybody who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? So listen up. And then, and then his point is then, real faith keeps on going. Real faith keeps on going. And so at the point of salvation, what, what occurs there is called regeneration. Regeneration is an act of God to where he takes a dead heart and he makes it alive. That is an act of God alone. Only God can do that. The next part in our salvation is justification. Y'all with me? Justification, where God declares all of your sins forgiven, and he declares Christ's righteousness is accredited to you. That is all a work of God. Those two things are purely God alone, from regeneration to justification. But then there is sanctification. Help me today, church family. Then there is sanctification. Sanctification, then, is the process by which you co-labor with the Holy Spirit to day by day kill sin, become more like Jesus, and produce fruit in your life. So that is the keep on going part. 
real faith keeps on going. Real faith continues to produce spiritual gospel fruit. Real faith continues throughout the life of the believer to shine light. That, that's what Jesus is going to say. Nobody takes a lamp and puts it under a jar. You don't do that. The, the light keeps shining. In addition, we keep obeying gospel truth. It's a continuing, it's a keeping on going, it's an enduring faith. That's what, that's what real faith is. Now, as we travel throughout this text, we're going to see these three things. I think these are the three points, the three main points then, that Jesus is seeking to make. And, and it'll essentially form our outline. Here it is. First, listen and keep bearing fruit. Listen, that is listen to the word of God and keep bearing fruit. We're going to see that in verses 4 through 15. Secondly, listen and cart, listening light. Listen to the word of God. Let it enter into your heart. Listen and then keep shining the light. We're going to see that in 16 through 18. And thirdly, listen and keep obeying. Verses 19 through 21. Y'all ready to get into the text? All right, get, get out your word. Get it opened up so you can make sure I'm not making it up as I go. Here we go. First point in our outline. Listen and keep bearing fruit, verses 4 through 15. Look at verse 4 there. It says, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. Now, if you, if you heard that a guy was healing the sick and raising the dead, would you go out to see him? Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the news of this guy is just spreading throughout all of Palestine like crazy. I mean, people are, are just blown away by this. They want to go see. I mean, they, they are very, very curious. And so the problem then is many of them have just come out to see the spectacle. They've not come out to see a savior. And so what Jesus now is doing with these parables, the parables essentially mark a turning point in Jesus' ministry where he's beginning to separate those who truly believe from those who don't believe. Those who are there just to see the spectacle and those who are really there to listen and hear the word of God and take it into their life versus those who are there just to see the show. That's two really different groups. And so these parables then serve that function of separating those two groups from one another. So this is what we need to know about Jesus' parables. Um, as you read them, there's, there's some 60 different parables that, that we have recorded um, in, our, in our Bible. And the parables, you don't need any special knowledge to understand their surface meaning. Uh, here's what I mean. Jesus tells parables about fishing. Well, those people knew about fishing. Uh, Jesus tells parable here about um, agriculture, seeds and soil and growing. Those people were familiar with that. He tells a parable about housekeeping. He, you know, he tells these parables in such a way that, that the surface meaning is easy to understand. Like it's, we, we can explain why the seed that falls on the hard path doesn't grow. We, know, we, we get it. But, church family, it was the deeper meaning that was difficult to understand. The difficult meaning is difficult to understand. Look at verse 5. A sower, so here's the parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds devoured it. So, so this is known as the parable of the soils, and the first soil that we discover here is a hard, compacted soil. So many of you know around uh, our, our place, the, the McDonald farm, 
we have a large garden, and, and every year, multiple times a year, we till up the garden. And from the point that we till it, um, it, is, it is an ever-unending battle to keep little children and dogs and animals out of the garden. We don't want, after we till it, stay out of the garden. Why? Because we don't want anyone to compress the soil, except for one main path that we have right down the middle of our garden. We, we have that path right down the middle of our garden so we can access the rest of the garden to harvest the fruit. And as the end of the growing season comes, you discover that even though we tilled that section of our garden, by the end of the growing season, we have traveled that path back and forth maintaining the garden, and that path is no longer loose soil. It is a compacted, hard path right through the middle of the garden. Jesus is saying that this seed fell on that path, that hard, compacted path, and, and it didn't grow. The, the birds came and got it. Pretty easy to understand. Look at verse 6. And some fell on a rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. If you've ever seen pictures, or maybe you've been to Israel, maybe you've been to Palestine, you, you've seen that area, but maybe you've just seen pictures of it, you know it's a very, very rocky area. And so he's talking about th this rock level, and maybe there's some soil on top of the rock level, but there's not enough soil that would hold moisture and allow the plant to grow. The, the roots have nowhere to go. That's the, that's the second soil that we see. There, there's not enough soil there. There's no roots. Look at verse 7. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. This happened to me this growth season on the back of our property. I, I planted a food plot. There was uh, turnips and iron clay peas in the, in the back of the property, and, and what happened was that the grass and the weeds grew up faster than my turnips and my iron clay peas, and so it got choked out. The, the thing's a disaster. It looks like a total mess back there. We, we understand what he's saying. Look at this fourth and final soil. And some fell into good soil and, and it grew and it yielded. Look at this. A hundredfold. A hundredfold. A hundredfold. I mean, if you ever grew anything in your life, you would know like, like tenfold is a lot. This is a, this is a miraculous harvest. A hundredfold. That's a lot. It's a miraculous an absolutely miraculous harvest. And look at how he closes his parable. And he said these things. He called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus here concludes with this saying. He, he's saying, can I get an amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? The problem is, without the interpretation, this could mean anything. Now, now stay with me, church family. Don't let your mind automatically run to verses 11 through 15. We, we know 11 through 15, so we already kind of have an understanding, but the crowd does not have that understanding. The crowd doesn't have the verses 11 through 15, which explain, like, like who is the sower? Who's the sower? Jesus doesn't tell the crowds. Uh, what is the seed? Jesus doesn't tell them. What does each soil represent? Jesus doesn't tell them. He gives them the parable and says, can I get an amen? Do y'all understand what I'm saying? You can essentially make this say whatever you want it to say. <laughs> so so uh, what I could do right, right now, I could say, um, so here's what Jesus means. Jesus means that the seed is money. So you got to sow, help me today, somebody. You got to sow that seed. Don't sow that seed over here. Don't sow that seed over here, but sow that seed here at Gospel Community Church, and, and your, your harvest will be a hundredfold. Can I get an amen? Pass the plate, somebody. 
You can make it say whatever you want it to say without the interpretation. It's very dangerous. So, look at what he has to say next. Now, look at verse 9. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, again, because they didn't know, they don't know what the seed is, they don't know what the soil is, they don't know what the sower is. He said, to you, watch this now, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. <laughs> what, what's the secrets of the kingdom of God? What, what is, is, that, is the secrets of the kingdom of God, is that what's found in the Gnostic Gospels? Say the Gospel of Thomas? Oh, oh, I know. That's what the whole Da Vinci Code was all about, right? The secrets of the kingdom of God discovered. Well, certainly not. That's not, what, that's not what Jesus means here at all. Church family, stay with me now. The secret of the kingdom of God is that the king would be a Galilean peasant who worked with his hands, who would not politically restore Israel to power among the nations, but he would shed his blood for the salvation of the nations. That's the secret of the kingdom of God. This, it's the knowledge of the gospel. Uh, other places in the Bible, it's called the mystery of God. And so as we think about mystery, we think about something that's confusing, but that's not what the Bible is, is referring to when it uses this word mystery. It's talking about the fact that Jesus is veiled in the Old Testament, but he comes to light in the New Testament. That's the secret. That's the, that's the mystery. Listen to the way the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 2, 7. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom. That's a, what Jesus is talking about here is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here to the Corinthian church. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom from God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Namely, your knowledge of salvation has been predestined before the foundations of the earth, that you would come to know the saving faith that Jesus Christ has on offer. That is the secret wisdom. And I think what is important that we see here is that this is not something that is earned or achieved. Did, did you see it there? Look back again at verse 9. I think you missed it. And he said to his disciples, the disciples asked what his parable meant. Look at verse 10. To you it has been what? Given. It's, it's a free offer of grace that's given to you, not earned. Jesus earned what we needed to earn on, on the cross. So the mystery is given, not earned. The mystery of the kingdom of God are revealed to us by God because God is sovereign over all. Amen? Even, even the salvation of his people. Look at the rest of verse 10. But for others... They're in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Jesus here is quoting Isaiah. Jesus' point is this, parables reveal and they conceal. Parables reveal the truth and they can also, to those who do not believe, conceal the truth. The truth is concealed by parables to those who are just casual observers. But those who are seeking Christ with their whole hearts, it is revealed in the parables. The truth is seen. So those who don't see their sin and don't know their need for a great Savior, the parables are concealed. But for those who see their great sin and see their great need for a Savior, the parables reveal the truth. That's what Jesus means there. Look at verse 11. Now, the parable is this. Here he goes. He's going to give us the explanation. He's going to tell us what all of it means. He begins this way. The seed 
is the word of God. He, he, he breaks open the parable. He, he lays it out for them. You want to know what this parable is about? It's about the seed. And the seed then is the word of God, meaning the very words that come from God, meaning everything that Jesus says is the word of God. In addition, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to empower men to write down the words of God. And that's why we have these 66 books, which we call the Bible. In addition, Jesus is the word himself. That's why John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he breaks up in this parable in the very, very beginning by saying, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Now let's take each soil in turn. You remember there was four different types of soil. Let's look at them and unpack the deeper meaning behind them. It says this, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. The, the path is that hard, compacted patch of earth, meaning the people with hard hearts. So, so does this certainly uh, apply to atheists and agnostics who want nothing to do with Jesus? It certainly does. They have hard hearts. But remember who he is preaching to. He is preaching to religious Israel. These people are atheists and agnostics. These people believe in God, but they simply want nothing to do with Jesus. Their hearts are hard towards Jesus. And do you see the result there? The devil comes and takes it away. I mean, they're uninterested in Jesus. They have hard hearts towards Jesus. And the devil sees that as an opportunity. And he comes and he steals away the seed. Their hearts are the hard path. And so church family, listening to the word of God is spiritual battle. Do you know that's, that's happening right now? As I am prayers, the word, as the word is coming from, from the words of the text to you and to your ears, there is a spiritual battle happening this morning. There's a spiritual battle happening this very second. The devil does not want you to have the seeds of the word of God implanted in your soul and in your heart so that you would live it out out there. He doesn't want that at all. The devil is seeking to steal that seed, that word of God from you this morning. That spiritual battle is happening now. And so if you're taking notes every time, church family, every time we hear the word, the attitude of our heart should be, not today, devil, this word is for me. That should be the attitude of our hearts. Not today, devil. You're not stealing the seed of the word. Take that word and I'm going to apply it. I'm going to listen. I'm going to pound church at Sunday morning listening to the word of God. I'm going to take that word and I'm going to apply it. I'm going to listen. I'm going to apply it to me. I'm not going to think, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. Oh, the, oh, this is a word for my neighbor. I wish, my na I, I wish this other person would be able to hear this word. No, we're going to say that might be true. That might be true, church family. But that's very dangerous if that's the only thing that you think. We have to come Sunday by Sunday with the attitude that says, not today, devil, not today. This word is for me. I'm going to take it and apply it. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to hear it. I'm going to lean into it. And so church family, I think this, this means for us is that we need to get rested up. Some of y'all, all the coffee in the, you stayed up too late on Saturday. All the coffee in the world ain't going to help you. You can't hear the sermon. You can't hear the word. You need to get rested up. In addition, you need to get read up. Aren't you happy? We preach through books of the Bible. 
We preach right through books of the Bible so that you know what text is going to be preached. So you can spend your time all next week reading the next text we're going to preach. So you need to get rested up. You need to get read up. You need to get prayed up. Oh, Lord, please protect me. Let my ears hear. Let my heart receive. We need to get rested up. We need to get read up. We need to get prayed up. We need to get confessed up. Help me today. God, forgive me of my sins. I want, a, I want a clean heart to receive your word. So, so we need to get confessed up as well, and we need to come ready to listen to the word. Church family, I think y'all know this about me, but I'm, I'm really, really serious about this. I'm really serious about this. I spend a ridiculous amount of time, and I'm grateful for it, reading and studying and writing and preparing and I think the call from the text today is that the, not just the person be prepared. I think every pastor needs to be prepared, needs to take this seriously, needs to put in his work, do his diligence. I, I think it's uh, uh, Pastor John MacArthur that says, you keep your, your tail in the chair until you've got something to say. And I believe that. You, you need to sit and read and study and pray as a pastor until you've got something to say. And as seriously as I take it, I hope that as a congregation, we're taking it as seriously as we listen to it. To be serious in how we listen. Verse 10, this, this next kind of soil. And the ones on the rock are those who hear the word and receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while, and after a time of testing, they fall away. This is the person that, that comes to church. I mean, the, 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 there's excitement. There's, I mean, man, wasn't that, man, man, George Jones killing that first song today. You give me joy, man. Everybody was fired up, right? The person comes in, they, they hear the song, they get fired up. Here I am, I'm yelling, I'm passionate. I mean, blood vessels coming out of my neck, sweat flying everywhere. And the person says, yeah, I, I, Man, I think there's something here. They, they receive, they fall away with joy. But look at what it says. When a time of testing comes, they fall away. Meaning they, they don't keep on going. Real faith keeps on going, but they, they, don't, they don't keep on going. Their heart says, Jesus didn't really solve my, all my problems like I thought he would. Their, their, their heart says something like, this is too hard. Jesus is asking too much. Their heart says something like, if I truly follow Jesus, it's going to cost me too much. That's, that's what their heart says. We, we've certainly seen this in, in youth groups and youth camps, right? The, the, the band plays, the, the youth are fired up, you know, they're come on down and get salvation and they, you know, their friends go and they go and they're all fired up for Jesus for about three months and then it's back to those same old patterns. We've seen this before, but it doesn't just happen at youth camps. <laughs> It's not just the overly emotional youth that do it. We, we've seen it here, Sunday by Sunday, church family. We've seen people who, who feel lonely, who, who feel disconnected, and they come here, and they find this church family that's welcoming and loving, and we accept them, and we bring them in, and they love the music, and you know, they laugh at some of my jokes, and, 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 and six months later, they're gone. That is because they had no depths. They had no roots that went down and sunk down deep into the soil. The fact of the matter is, they did not have real faith. Why? Because real faith keeps on going. You see, that person without any roots, when true repentance is called for, when true faithfulness, attending, and giving, when people start asking heart-level questions, they gone. Because they never had real, authentic, true faith. Look at verse 14, the third soil. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, that's so important, look at this, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not come to mature. That as they go, that day-to-day living their lives, the the moment by moment, week by week, month by month, all of that. So, so this is a person that may, maybe they've been longer than six months. The the bending the, without the roots. I mean, they're. But maybe this person has has been attending and been faithful for years. But then, what happens to them? Well, it seems like the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life come, and they fall away. If you're taking notes, church family, gradual danger is hard to notice, but it is danger nonetheless. Gradual danger, that that slow pulling away from the people of God, that slow pulling away from the word of God, that slow pulling away from prayers to God. It It is that slow movement backwards away from regular, habitual spiritual practices, bit by bit, slowly. It goes something like this. Hey, we just got a new camper. We got a boat. We got a vacation home. It was just a few Sundays. We, we had to miss community group. You know, I mean, we, the reason we missed community group for the last several weeks, the kids have just been so crazy. It's just, we just hadn't, hadn't been able to make it. You know, I've, I've been so busy in my garage building this thing. I just, man, I, I really haven't had time I just to really get into the word. You know, my mind has been so focused on launching this new business. I, focus my mind to pray because I'm, I'm just thinking about this new business. You know, when that, that season of that favorite show that you like comes out on your favorite streaming service, I wonder how that affects our time with God. I wonder how Amazon affects our regular rhythms of spiritual growth. I mean, the ability to shop anywhere, anytime, to buy anything, and it's shipped directly to your door. Church family, that is the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of life. Hear me now, church family. There's nothing wrong with a boat. I wish I had a bass boat. If you're looking for Christmas ideas, there you go. But if I'm at the lake every Sunday, that's a problem. So do you see what he's saying there? He's he's not saying you have to live an ascetic lifestyle. No no pleasures, no joys, no riches. No, don't do any of that. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. But he's saying beware that those things pull you out of regular rhythms. He's saying that those things can actually expose the fact that you don't have real faith. The fact of the matter is they did not have real faith, which is why they fell away. And so having been a Christian for a really long time, been a pastor for a long time, you guys know, like we've seen this before. We've seen somebody who's faithfully walked with the Lord and then they're gone. I'm I'm not talking just gone from, from this church. There are great reasons. There are biblical reasons to leave one church and join another. There's also really sinful reasons, but that's a whole other sermon. There are biblical reasons to leave a a congregation and join another church. That's perfectly fine. What we're talking about here is leaving the faith altogether. We're talking about someone who appeared to be walking with the Lord, but now they're not. What, What do we say about that? What do we do about that? Was that person ever really saved? Well, here's the answer. 
The answer is, if someone walks away from the faith and never returns, they were never saved. That's not real faith. Why? Because real faith keeps on going. Real faith keeps on going. Listen to 1 John 2.19. Here's how he says it. John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, he says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might be plain that they all are not of us. Scary, scary text. Look at verse 15, the final, the final soil. As for that in the good soil... They are those who, hearing the word, what do they do? Hold it fast. Hold it fast. Grab it. Hang on to it. They hold it fast in an honest and good heart. I think you can uh, import the word humble, a humble heart, an honest and good heart, honest about who they are, honest about where they are in their life, an, an honest and good heart. And what do they do? What, what happens when there's real faith? With patience. There's fruit with what? Patience. It bears fruit with patience. When the seed falls into good soil, the soil of a humble heart, what happens with that seed is it grows. Not only does it grow, remember because the other one, the one that didn't have roots, it grew, but it keeps on producing fruit. That's what happens when the seed falls into the good soil. Upon hearing the word, we hold it fast and honest and good heart. It doesn't go in one ear and out the other. The word that we receive is not taken captive by a project at work or a problem child. It is held in the heart, in the heart. Church family, the, the heart when spoken of in the Bible is not the center of emotions. That, that's how we think of this word heart. You know, my, my head's there, but my heart's not in it. That's not the way the Bible refers to the heart. When the Bible refers to the heart, it refers to the very center of the human. What's at the very core of a person? Their, their heart. And so it's received there. And what is the result? It produces fruit with patience, meaning it endures. The plant keeps on growing. If you're taking notes, real faith keeps producing real fruit. Real faith keeps producing real fruit. That is spiritual fruit. That is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, self-control. That is that type of spiritual fruit, and it's definitely done in the context of a local community, namely a local church. So church family, when the culture tells us that the Bible's views on sexuality is outdated, we keep on listening to the word and producing fruit. When the doctor gives us bad news, when the foreclose on the house, when our candidate doesn't win, help me today, when our spouse is unfaithful, we keep listening to the word and we keep on producing fruit. And the other side of the coin is true as well. When we get the new bass boat in Jesus' name, help me today, somebody. When we get the promotion, when we launch the new business, when we get the news that baby number three is on the way, we listen to the word and we produce fruit because it is the evidence of real faith. Real faith keeps on going. Amen? Amen, amen. Now, obviously, uh, that is the majority of our text, and we still have two more points. I promise they won't be that long. <laughs> I promise to get you to lunch for uh, the Pentecostals, okay? Um, we won't beat the Methodists, but we will beat the Pentecostals. 
<laughs> okay, here we go. Number two, stay with me now. Stay with me. We've got to get this done. Number two, listen, listen and keep shining the light. Listen and keep shining the light. Look at verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not come to light. <clears throat> now, he's just totally changed the metaphor. We, we went from the garden into a lamp, from seeds to fire. What, what's going on here? Well, well again, look, look back at it. What would happen if you took a light and put it under a jar? Well, uh, the light would go out because there would be a lack of oxygen. In addition, if you put the lamp under a bed, don't think mattress. That's what we think. Again, this is first century Palestine. Think of a bedroll. If you, if you take a blanket or a bedroll and put it on a lamp, it's going to put the light out. Right? We, we would think, put the lamp under the bed, it sets the whole bed on fire. That, that's, that's not what he's getting at, right? You, you put the jar over it, the light goes out. You throw the, the, the bedroll on top of the blanket, it goes it goes out. That's the point that Jesus is making. The point is use things for their intended purpose. That's what Jesus is getting after. Lights are made to shine, so they need to shine. The purpose of the lamp is actually to keep shining. So just as the plant's job is to keep producing fruit, the light's job is to keep shining. Do you see the connection here? These two parables are tied so closely together. Now, all the fruit bearing and all the light shining is coming from hearing and listening to the word and endure them, which is why Jesus gives this great exhortation, verse 18. Look at verse 18. Take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Again, this word here is a present tense verb in the Greek. It means take care how you keep on listening. So the word must be engaged, pondered, learned, remembered, and most importantly, it needs to be desired the word. If you're not listening to the word, the word will be taken away from you. But the other side of the coin is true. Amen? And that's good news, that when we come Sunday by Sunday ready to receive the word, he keeps giving us more of the word, and the word produces fruit. The word makes us shine. Amen. Amen, amen. Again, take note. Take note again that the secret in verse 10 was given, and here in verse 18, the knowledge of the word is given. Did you see that? Take care how you hear, for the one who has more will be earned. No, more will be given. It's a matter of not a matter of achieving, but a matter of receiving. Third and final point, listen and keep obeying. Verses 19 through 20, listen and keep obeying. It's clear, again, why Luke continues to group uh, these two parables together, and then he also includes this story of Jesus' family coming to him because all of this is about hearing the word. It's about hearing the word, and we'll see that. Look at verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. Uh, if you go back and read this section of text in Mark uh, chapter 3, it gives us a little bit more context. His family thought he was nuts. They thought he was out of his mind. Now, listen, his mom believed him. Y'all remember when we went through Mary's prayer? Mary called him her savior. 
Mary believes. I think Mary is just terrified of what's going to happen to her son. She can see the writing on the wall. So she goes to, to get him, and, and his brothers come because his brothers think that he's, I mean, he's saying he's the son of man. He's saying that he can forgive us. We, we need to get him one of those jackets that make you hug yourself and put him in a padded room. He, he's lost it. So they, so they go to him. Look at verse 20 through 21. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, look at this. <clears throat> my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word. There it is again. Hear the word of God and do it. What determines who is in Jesus' family is not bloodline. What determines who is in Jesus' family is not biology, but saying his family to the word of God. Saying family does not matter, that's not what he's saying at all. What he is saying is that obeying God is more important than family. You see, many of us have to make that painful choice more often than we would like to admit. The choice goes something like, obey God in anger, offend, or disappoint my family. Or disobey God and please my family. And Jesus says the, the choice is clear. The choice is clear. And so real faith bears fruit. Real faith, the light keeps on shining and real faith obeys. So listen up. Because real faith, real faith keeps on going. Well, church family, I need to apply this text but Jesus has made my job so easy, he's already given us the application. I don't, I don't need to be creative. I don't have to come up with three application points for you this morning. The application, oh, you hear. Did you see it? Take care then how you hear. That, that's what we're to do with this text. That's how we're to apply this text. We're to obey Jesus and take care how we hear. So church family, what do you need to do on Saturday night to get ready to hear the word? What do you need to do on Sunday morning to get ready to hear the word? What do you need to do during the service to get ready to hear the word? The call from the text is clear. Endure. Keep on going. Do not abandon the faith and its practices. Keep bearing fruit. Keep shining. Keep obeying so that on that final day, you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. This is a call to continue to endure. You see, when Jesus What's tested, he did not abandon us. And so, church family, we will not abandon him. Jesus was faithful to the end. And so we, may we follow the example of our Lord, listen to the word, keep on going, and remain faithful to the end. Oh, that he would do that great work in us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for preserving this text for us. We thank you for bringing us this parable this morning. Lord, I pray even now that we would receive the word, that we would listen to it, that we would really hear it and take it into our hearts and apply it to our lives, that this would not just be yet another empty word, another empty presentation of your gospel, but there would be real, true life transformation, which would show real faith. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.